yourself confused when it comes to health and fitness? Have you been searching relentlessly on the most effective ways to achieve your fitness-related goals, only to find yourself even more frustrated? Well, we've got you covered. It's time to learn from the best, shorten your learning curve, and truly understand how to achieve your goals without spinning your wheels and wasting precious time. Welcome to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. Welcome back to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Mike Perry, and I'm here with my good friend, Brett Jones. Brett, how's everything in the Berg? <clears throat> Fabulous. Uh, finally got a win out of the Steelers. So uh, got to that two and four, 50% record. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens moving forward. But uh, if you're from Pittsburgh, you talk about the Steelers. It's just the way it is. There you go. And, and, and you know what? I, I, I got to ask you, man. I remember hearing about this because I had a client from Pittsburgh. There's some pretty good Pritz, Pittsburgh slang, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Uh, Pittsburghese. Um, it's it's a whole thing. And uh, we actually won most annoying accent in the country um, a while back because if and I, I I think I do a decent Yenzer. And that we actually there are people in Pittsburgh that we actually refer to as Yenzers and people refer to themselves as Yenzers. Um, but it's like uh, Yenz what, went, what's a Yenzer for the people that don't understand. Uh, a Yenzer is somebody from Pittsburgh that speaks in Pittsburghese is <laughs> gotcha. the easiest way to describe it. Uh, we're the city of bridges and we have people in the city that have never crossed a bridge. Uh, cause they stay in their neighborhood and they, that's where they work and live and, and everything. Um, so it's, it's things like, uh, Yens want to go downtown, get some irons and that, which would refer to like icy light, um, iron city beer. So, uh, um, Yens quit being so nebby, read up your room. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a whole thing. Is um, it- is that is let me ask you this and i could be wrong the term jagoff is that a pittsburghese slang oh yeah see that's mm-hmm. what i thought I, everyone knows that one and it it means exactly what you think it means <laughs> yeah that one doesn't need a ton of clarification does it but uh but anyways we're not talking about pittsburgh today we are talking about how to change and impact movement and you know Brett's been with with functional movement systems for a very, very long time. Um, I've been fortunate enough to teach for them uh, for for several years as well. And there is sort of this recipe, right? And one of the things that I've noticed is whether you are a strength and conditioning coach looking to improve movement or a physical therapist looking to get people to kind of normalize function and, and get them from surgery back to sort of everyday tasks, there's a similar recipe involved. So um, this recipe, uh, while simple, like a lot of things, it's it's hard to actually navigate through because it just takes a lot of art and a lot of science and a lot of trial and error. So, um, you know, one of the things we want to talk about is is we're going to put this into two buckets. Is and we're not going to talk physical therapy here because we are not physical therapists, um, but we are going to talk about how to change and impact movement. So the first thing we're going to talk about is you've got a client that just moves poorly. They have mobility restrictions. How can we after we know that from the assessment, they have mobility restrictions. How can we attack that in a way that is going to change movement and get it to stick? And I think that's the biggest thing. Making temporary changes, easy. 
but getting it to stick is where the sweet spot happens. So Brett, what have, what have you noticed uh, over the years as far as sort of the general mistakes as to why people don't get things to stick? We're going to talk about the algorithm and the recipe, but um, what would you say the top two things are why movement is not changing? Uh, one, they don't have a baseline. They're, uh, they're maybe noticing something in somebody's squat or deadlift or whatever. And they're saying, oh, I need to do some corrective exercise. Well, that's backwards. You, the assessment piece comes first. So by the time I'm teaching somebody technically correct exercise, I have hopefully taken those movement issues off the table already. And so I, I think it comes back to that, uh, at a high level, you know, especially young, young practitioners, professionals, follow the recipe, success leaves clues. Um, make sure that you're, if, if you tell me you're doing a corrective exercise, I assume there is an assessment and a baseline uh, piece that was below the minimums that directed you in that direction. Um, number two is they, and Gray is famous for saying, I might skip steps, but I don't miss steps. A lot of people, when they get into trying to correct movement, they miss steps. They they try to skip ahead. They do a little bit of foam roll and the, the movement changes. And so they hop right back into loading that pattern. Well, there's probably four things there that you missed and uh, that can be put, to your point, in a systematic fashion. Um, and I'd say those are the two biggest uh, things and, and why movement doesn't stick. You didn't have a baseline to, to judge it against anyway. So you don't know if it's, if it's working, you're just trying to see if the exercise is better. That's, that's not what corrective exercise should be for. Um, and then you're just, you're missing steps. Yeah. And, and I would argue that a lot of the times we shouldn't even call it corrective exercise because nothing's changing. It's just waste of time exercise. Yeah. And, and there again, it's, it's, uh, you know, I, had the experience when I was over in the UK teaching, I, I pulled uh, four or five people aside uh, who had been dealing with some shoulder stuff. And I went after their T-spine and a little bit of scapular stability and um, bingo, bango, dramatic change. Mm -hmm. And these people were, you know, and these were kind of on the fly things, uh, just trying to help people out. But, you know, these were all people are saying, oh, well, I'm working on my T-spine mobility. Okay, well, you're not. <laughs> I know you think you are, uh, but you know, there's, there's, uh, there's a, there's a better way to go about this. And there's a baseline that we can set that says, yes, this is improved. This has changed. Um, so yeah, I, I think, uh, let's, let's talk people through not, uh, missing steps. Absolutely. So, you know, one sort of thing before we dive into the recipe, um, there are certain times where there are anatomical adaptations in which you will not change things. Um, Can I talk if, about my hips? No, you no, <laughs> we don't want to hear about your damn hips anymore, Brent. We're going to talk about my ankles, okay? No, um, here we no, go. But, but there's, but at listen, if you have a bone spur or a bony adaptation that has happened over time, you can't stretch, mobilize, use your voodoo to make that go away. The only person that can fix that is a surgeon. And they can take care of that through a surgery. So um, if you're banging away at trying to improve ankle, you know, ankle dorsiflexion or hip internal rotation or trying to, you know, improve shoulder flexion, but you are working against a piece of bone that will not move, all you're doing up is tearing up the tissue. 
around that and you're just going to make it worse. So um, at a certain point, if you're not making changes, either you're doing the wrong stuff, which is a possibility, or you're trying to change something that cannot be changed. So let's get that out of the way to begin with. But so let's talk about kind of the first step. If you are someone that has a mobility restriction, you need, you need to use whatever tools you have to improve range of motion, flexibility, mobility, whatever that might be. And there are several different ways to do that. And I would argue that you should choose the ways that you know how to coach the best. And you've, you've actually had success changing things because, um, there are several different ways to improve mobility. hundred percent. Um, you know, soft tissue work. Um, I, that's a popular, you know, first step. It's certainly something that I, I look to do with, with my people. Um, it's not a pain tolerance experiment. It doesn't have to be 30 minutes of your session. Um, I think you can get through a, a, an effective foam roller routine within about five minutes, mm -hmm. um, find some hot spots, give them a little bit of attention and, um, <clears throat> and, you know, see if it changes the, the movement pattern that you're trying to trying to influence, um, using the example of something like the, the active straight leg raise, um, I would then take that person to a, a strap stretch situation where I'm filtering that leg raise through, uh, is it posterior chain, anterior chain, or lumbopelvic control? And there's there's a way that I kind of get through that that uh, gives me my next step and and shows me what I need to be doing for for that person. Um, so yeah, I and you know stretching. I uh, I love the anti stretching folks, um, but uh, and, and I, I talk about this all the time at workshops four groups of people on the planet we would consider to be the most flexible people dancers gymnasts martial artists and uh yoga uh practitioners what do all four of them do stretch they don't stretch. tell me stretching doesn't work like now should you be stretching what you're trying to stretch totally different conversation and one that needs to be had but, but um yeah so soft tissue technique stretching where, what where would you go with it uh, from there mike so, you know, once we have found a way to make a short-term appreciative change in range of motion, whatever that is, um, you know, I think we, again, we do our tissue work to, to get, a, you know, hopefully a fairly quick change in, in overall sort of muscular tone, right? And then boom, you do whatever you want to use. PNF, it doesn't matter. It, it really truly does not matter what you use. Just make sure that you, you know how to use it um, in, in a correct fashion. The first thing you need to do is you need to check your work. You need to see if that mobility intervention that you just applied actually made an appreciable change. If it did not, you need to do something else. And I think one of the other mistakes people make is they give you five, they give a client five exercises, but they don't know which one's actually made a change. So you could be moving three steps forward and two steps back when all you need to do is one drill. So if you are going to apply some sort of mobility bias strategy, do one, check it, do another, check it. That's a way to filter your own work because listen, you know, changing movement is an art, is an art and a science. And if you're throwing your favorite corrective package at someone, how do you know not a lot of that is wasting time? Because some people are going to respond a little bit differently, right? Um, just quickly, you know, some people, when it comes to stretching, they are going to do a little bit better with cycling some breathing and trying to focus on breath and trying to slow things down. If they're very, very uh, sort of sympathetically driven and they're always go, 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 you may need to bring them down a little bit. Other people are going to do better with a little bit more aggressive work. 
So you actually have to understand what your, your clients need, but regardless, you're going to have to figure out a way that you can make an appreciable change in the range of motion. And the next thing we need to do is we need to find a way that we can start loading this or start activating musculature to, you know, eventually accept load. And that doesn't mean just doing a bunch of, you know, glute activation drills. Um, but it means firing up the musculature that is involved with the pattern. And there are several different ways to do it, but we got to start with improving that range of motion. And then we got to do, you know, a little bit of muscle activation and don't confuse muscle activation with stability work because they're very, very different. This is the reason why doing 5,000 variations of a clamshell doesn't fix balance. You can fry someone's glute mead by doing all these clamshells and, you know, sideline hip abduction, but all you're doing is frying out the musculature. You're not putting them in an environment where the muscles need to, uh, sequence and there's a timing component involved. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't do a, a few exercises to feel things kick on, but those muscle activation techniques, in my opinion, make them short and then put them in a situation where you give them the opportunity for the stabilizer to do their job. And that is right at that point, I think is the hardest part for people. hundred percent. And, uh, you know, I have to mention here that, um, you know, when you're working on somebody's and I mentioned it a little bit when we got to the, you know, talked about the leg raise real quick. Um, you can have a quote, motor control or stability problem that's giving you a, mo a mobility problem. That's filtered out as you go through some of these corrective uh, situations. Um, with the leg raise in particular, um, you know, if, if your lumbopelvic control is off and you, it, the, the, the stuff that should be moving your leg has been obligated to try to stabilize the pelvis, well, we're all bad at doing two things at once. <laughs> I don't care how much you think you can multitask. We're all bad at doing two things at once. And so, you know, having a process that says, okay, yeah, I need to, I need to stretch. I need to mobilize. I need to, I need to do this. Nope. Wait, that restriction is because we got some bad uh, patterning here. And to mm -hmm. your point, getting to load, you know, Grace has hit save on the document. Um, it's kind of that the quicker you can get there. And, and I, I've worked with a lot of different people over the years and they're like, well, you know, we, we, we stick with this mobility and stretching work for four weeks. I'm like, the hell are you trying to stretch? If you haven't been able to make an appreciable difference in the session, you're, you're knocking on the wrong thing. Like this, this should be a very efficient process. Yeah. I mean, shit, four weeks. Ugh. I mean, <laughs> if it's taking you four weeks to make any change in range of motion, you're not good at your job. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, four you're weeks, knocking like on said, the wrong door. You're asking the wrong question. Exactly. Or you're trying to make um, so much of a large change that you're not paying attention to those those small minor changes, which do add up over time. So, but, you know, regardless, um, yeah, there's that absolute, that motor control component of it. But, um, you know, as we get into this sort of algorithm, we've got our, okay, we've got, we've improved our range of motion via whatever modality they want. We've activated some basic musculature. And here's the thing with muscle activation drills, guys. Talked about this earlier, but it's not about crushing and destroying the muscle to failure. It's about putting the client in a situation where they start to feel a little bit of sensation of something firing. And once they feel that go right into a position 
where they can start to use it. So, I mean, you said it a million times. I don't know if you even said it first, but if you can feel it, we can fix it. I think, was that you? Was that an original Brett Jones? And, and guys, so. in my opinion, that's the whole reason why specific muscle activation drills are good is just to provide awareness. It's not, you're not going to do clamshells for days, like I said, and, and, and improve balance. You're just going to fry their hips out. But now when we get into the stability component, I think we need to understand some basics of biomechanics. And, and I'm not saying you have to do a, a thesis on biomechanics and understand what joint angles do this and this, but you need to be able to put them and stack the joints in a way that things turn on. And that things turn on in a way that hopefully will result in a positive adaptation. Well, and so a new student that I was working with um, as part of setting the baseline, noticed a difference in the ankle mobility, take him through a little soft tissue work, take him into a half kneeling dorsiflexion with the dowel. And um, sure enough, what didn't feel like that big of a difference to this person in standing when we brought him into half kneeling with the dorsiflexion. Um, wow. Like yeah. he immediately was like, Whoa, that's totally different than the other side. Exactly. So now this person has a, has, has an appreciation for that. Um, you know, it's, if we were all aware of all of our faults and restrictions and, you know, deceptions, self-deceptions, uh, we, we wouldn't need coaches. We wouldn't need therapists. We wouldn't need uh, spouses to mm -hmm. point those things out to us. Um, but you usually somebody looking in from the outside just goes, Oh yeah, it's that. And you know, that that's what we want to do. And, 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 but then bring the awareness and the exactly. awareness piece is huge. So, um, and then, there are times where I tell my, my people I'm working with, uh, I don't, this is where I joke that I don't care about your feelings. You know, you'll get somebody in a rib grab T-spine rotation. They're like, well, I really don't feel it in my T-spine. Okay. It's fine. I don't care about your feelings. Yeah. Um, I see the thing happening that I want to see. And then we go to the other side and they're like, oh, I can't turn to this side. Exactly. So now the awareness piece kicks in, the feeling piece kicks in. Well, a lot of the times awareness is not knowing what you can do. It's what you can't do. And that's just a big part of awareness. Um, but, and, and another thing that you said, you mentioned sort of the, the various positions standing and, and, and half kneeling with ankle dorsiflexion. Um, I think one of the, the keys to changing movement is eventually allowing your clients or putting your clients in a situation where they can start to get feedback in various positions, shapes, and postures. So, um, you know, just doing an ankle mobility drill and just doing all, and never using it and never actually loading it Well, you're missing things. So like you said, well, you know, maybe they didn't feel it here, but maybe they felt it elsewhere, elsewhere. So a big part of, of understanding how to eventually start to introduce awareness and shapes and loads is finding, um, the right positions and right exercises, if you will, that will allow your clients to feel things. And, and eventually, again, if they can feel it then they're going to be more apt to do it. That's the reason why a lot of people, if you give them like some simple mobility drills, like wrist circles or whatever, if they don't feel it, they're like, they don't think it's doing anything, right? Because yeah. you're not going to sit there and be like, well, listen, these are your, your mechanoreceptors and your barrier systems within the joint, but you're, they're not going to, they don't give a shit about that. They want to feel it. 
So if they don't feel a stretch or a sensation, they're probably not going to do it. So I think when we are prescribing things, we need to make sure that we give them a little bit of both, right? Give them what they need, but also give them something that they can feel so they can replicate that sensation when they are doing their homework. Yeah, I'm not above putting the uh, broccoli in the fruit smoothie so that uh, so the kids get their veggies. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think that uh, we can take that approach a lot of times in, in training, period. Um, give, give people a little bit of what they think they need and, you know, hit them a lot with the things they actually need. Um, so from a mobility standpoint, let's, let's just go ABCD. So first, uh, and the thing we didn't talk about that could be easily thrown in as a first step breathing, believe it or not, just a little bit of crocodile breathing, a little bit of hook line breathing. Um, maybe it is that sympathetic load person that's just tense, uh, from life and stress and everything else going on, or just, just their personality. You, we've all met people that they're like the Chihuahua sitting at the, uh, the coffee shop, you know, uh, they've had a few, few too many cups of caffeine and the, the nervous shaking. little dog is, is just shaking and like, Nyee! um, and, and that's some people's personalities are just wired that way. And that's, mm -hmm. that's fine. I'm, I'm wired the opposite direction. I could probably fall asleep at any given moment. Um, what? <laughs> so, but the breathing step could be, you know, a, a brilliant first step just to kind of reorient somebody, the soft tissue work, the stretching, you know, make an appreciable change in the mobility, do something that improves the patterning and uh, the muscle activation, get to that patterning and load so that you kind of, go through that process. Did I get it right? Uh, sure. I learned most of it from you. So if, if you, if you're doing it wrong, I'm screwed. Um, but no, but I, I think honestly, like I really wanted to talk about this stuff because um, it really is the recipe, but I think people are skipping steps. And, and, and again, that's the biggest issue. So let's talk about load. Well, and, and to, to your, to your point real quick, because if, if you do a successful breathing and soft tissue work and you see the mobility change, that is not the signal to go back to your deadlifts. That is the signal that you've been successful in the first part of that process. Exactly. Now, muscle activation, if you need it, um, the uh, patterning work and getting to load comes, you know, after that. So if you kind of follow the sequence, uh, much better, much better success. So stability wise, if we break down the same sort of um, thing, somebody comes in with a stability uh, oriented problem and we know it's a stability oriented problem because the baseline sent us there in that direction, break it down for me. What are we going to do? So if we already have a client that moves really, really well, but doesn't have control of that movement, the first thing we need to do is make them aware of where they need to be from a positional standpoint. And this is for those individuals that stretch all the time, but they have low back pain or they have low back issues. I don't want to say pain because then we're talking about a different scope, but this is for those individuals that I stretch, 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 but nothing's working. Well, cool. You've already done the stretching piece. The stretching piece is done. It's already, you've got that software program into your nervous system. Now what you need to do is you can't stretch more. You need to go right into activation stability and load. So the algorithm is the same for someone that moves really, really well, but they don't have control. It's just, we're not going to do more mobility because that bucket is already full. We've already checked that off the list. So, you know, people seem to think that they need this really, really fancy stuff. 
And I think the biggest issue with people that are already very, very mobile is they think if they're feeling a certain way, maybe they have discomfort or whatever, they think they're, the recipe is to stretch it. When in actuality, that could be the reason why you have that scenario to begin with. Um, you're stretching something that's already overstretched, but you're chasing the stretch because you want to feel something. I mean, when I tell people not to stretch and I run them through an assessment and I take them through a bite and they're like, you don't want me to stretch you. It makes it seem like I'm trying to take the money from their bank account and their firstborn child. Like, no, it's just like, this is the reason why you're having issues because you've stretched so much. You can't control the damn thing. And, and that is the recipe for hypermobile individuals. Now here's the thing. We know that movement is written in the, in feel, right. But at the same time, if they feel, if someone feels a stretch, they, and we can create a scenario that they are, they're making a change and they are stretching something for the people that have mobility restrictions. That's a good thing. But the hard part is, is for someone that has uh, stability issues, they're not used to the sensation of getting into a position and hanging out and letting things happen. And that can be frustrating. Definitely. And so the, 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 the steps there in taking somebody into what we have commonly referred to within the FMS world is static motor control. Um, and you, if you want to look at it from a developmental standpoint, you, you take that hypermobile person from something like hard rolls to crawling or just bird dogs crawling, half kneeling work, and then bring them to standing. Uh, I think the common mistake there stability wise is this, the steps that are skipped uh, are usually the ground-based work, the hard roll sort of situation uh, bird dogs are pretty popular. Crawling is pretty popular. Um, maybe they're doing some of that, but then they skip the half kneeling step. And, uh, what somebody with a stability issue will hate two things. They will hate slowing down and they will hate holding a position. And I'm going to make you do both of those things. <laughs> and I'm going to laugh and have fun with you while you're miserable. Because uh, that's what I do, because I'm just a caring individual. Um, but that, making sure those sequences are in there, making sure that you're slowing somebody down, making sure that you're hitting those pauses, dare I say, isometrics or Don't static you positions. I can't believe I said that. can't believe I said the ISO word. Um, but yeah, that's 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 where my, my brain goes. And then these are people that, you know, something like a nice, slow, good, uh, Turkish get up, or I can't believe I delete that first word. I said a nice, good controlled get up, um, a nice slow deadlift. And it's, I think in the industry, we need to just get over this idea that, uh, well, if you, if you train slow, you'll be slow. Um, yeah, I, I, sorry. That's if it was the only thing you ever did was move like molasses. Okay. You're going to move like molasses. If this is a step in the process and something that helps you regain control, um, and then actually the third thing, uh, that you're going to steal from people who are in that kind of extra mobility, uh, hypermobile sort of situation, you're going to steal range from them. Yep. You're not, the only, the only way they know where they are is when they're, they bang into their end range, which yeah, is already exactly. way too far. You're going to pull them back to this really kind of short range motion and make them own in steps and progressively give them control over greater range of motion but only once they've earned the control over the range of motion. And so that's where my brain goes with those stability um, oriented people. And then also keeping in mind, we're not talking strength here. We're talking patterning. 
we're talking about uh, having a sequence in place. I, I mentioned earlier with the leg raise, you know, if, if we've obligated a muscle to try to stabilize the pelvis that shouldn't be stabilizing the pelvis, uh, guess what the muscles that are supposed to be stabilizing the pelvis do? They're like, cool, bro. It's all you. Good job. We'll see you later. Good job. <laughs> Take it. I'm out. I'm going to exactly. go sip champagne, eat bonbons. So that's where my, my brain goes with the uh, stability oriented people. Yeah. And so one thing you mentioned, you know, you mentioned by manipulating tempo and using isometrics, it's, it's, you know, it, it's not fun. It's going to be slightly uncomfortable, but the same thing goes for trying to improve mobility for a lot of people, making a change in your movement, regardless if it's stability biased or mobility bias is going to take effort and it's going to take consistency and awareness. These things aren't going to magically happen by just, you know, like kind of lackadaisically approaching these things. Like, you're going to have to put some effort in if you want to make a change. And um, it's just going to be a different type of effort depending on where your starting point is. But change is hard. And if you already have this sort of level of tone in your body, whatever your, your neurological home is, whatever that is, we have to introduce a higher stimulus to make a change. Because if it doesn't override your current program, things aren't going to change. It's, it's kind of like, um, you know, let's say that you're you know, you jam your thumb, right? And your thumb starts to hurt. Well, go hit your shin on a trailer hitch. You, your thumb doesn't hurt anymore because we've changed the stimulus. Now it's temporarily. Now, please don't do either of those things. But that's my point. You have to introduce a certain amount of stimulus to the system to make a change. That doesn't mean overwhelming them. What is the thing we always say? when it comes to changing movement in FMS, successful, but challenged and it, but challenged a challenge is not easy. <laughs> it's a challenge. It's like, you know, the RKC back in the day, the Russian kettlebell challenge. So remember it, it's, if you want to change something, it's going to be tough. Anyways, let's move on to the last point, which is loading. Now we'll use the straight leg raise because that's something that we've been talking about. Um, if you're on your back, you've got one leg that is biased towards extension and you've got one leg that's biased towards, uh, flexion. Now, once you start to make those appreciable changes, one of the biggest things we need to do is we need to load you in a way that's going to reveal and optimize hip extension for a lot of people, right? That's a lot of issues that people have. But I think one of the biggest mistakes is they, they only use one variation and one pattern of hip extension. So you can extend your hips in a deadlift but you can also extend your hips in a bridge. You can also extend your hips in the standing position. You can also extend your steps, uh, extend your hips in single leg stance. You can also extend your hips in split stance. So I think one of the, the best ways to approach hip extension is by looking at all those various patterns, single leg split stance and bilateral stances and integrate that into your corrective algorithm. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, looking at, I mean, even something like a bird dog, can be a way to, to look at that, that hip extension. Uh, and, you know, we kind of bring it through that developmental sequence again, where some form of, of rolling, um, and then quadruped and then tall kneeling, half kneeling, um, and then to standing, uh, again, I just, I, I think that, that that's, that's the missed steps where we mm -hmm. kind of assume that somebody, Oh, well, you look good in a bird dog. Let's, let's go do a single leg deadlift. Well, yeah, you're, you're skipping steps. Three, 
Yeah, there's three or four other things that you could be putting in the sequence there that would lead to a better single leg deadlift by the time that they get there. Um, so um, the the whole follow the recipe kind of idea, um, don't miss steps. And, and we're not trying to steal your creativity and knowledge from you. And we're not trying to say that this is the only way to, to do this thing that we're talking about. But 50... 50 corrective uh, paths from now, you're going to have way different questions. If you've been following the recipe and and seeing what the results are and, and adapting to the individual that's in front of you, you're going to have different questions, 30, 40, 50 uh, corrective sequences from now. Um, get to that point. And that I'm way more interested in your questions when you get to that point uh, versus when you first look at this and go, well, I'll just go from A to D. Mm -hmm. You can do that. You're just not going to be that successful and you're going to get frustrated. Exactly. Yeah. Follow the recipe, be successful with following the recipe, and then start to experiment after. Dig a little bit deeper and understand the principles behind that. And then you may come up with some stuff that's going to work even better for you. But, um, you know, follow the plan. Success leaves clues. Look at what all these really, really smart people are saying. I mean, I steal from them all the time, right? But... <laughs> I'm at a point now where I'm not stealing exercises or my favorite exercises. I understand the principles. If I do see an exercise out there that looks interesting, I say, well, how could I implement that into someone's program that is going to result in an adaptation that I'm looking for? So, um, you know, we've been doing this for, for a long time and guys, I've messed this up. Like I've learned from, from, you know, people like Brett, Eric Degatti, Gray, uh, Diane, Greg Rose, like all these people guys that are just way smarter than I am. And, uh, they're saying the same thing. It's just through the process, they understand how to get there quicker through experience, trial and error, awareness and education. So we're going to put go a bow on it, Brett. At, yeah. Go back and look at Blink um, by um, that Malcolm Gladwell and look, you know, do a little research on advanced pattern recognition and, and realize that the, the person that's been doing this for 20 or 30 years, and they seem to just look at somebody and go, this is the thing we need to do. They're able to do that because it's the 10,000 hundredth millionth time that they've seen that. And their, their pattern recognition is just way faster. Um, yeah. So that's, that's one to go back and revisit um, in reference to that. Um, sorry, straight thought. Shut up now. No, anything else? Uh, anything else you want to cover today, my friend, or are we, are we good to go? I think we're good. I, I think we'll keep this one short and we'll make people go back and listen to it again to actually get the recipes out of the uh, out of the context of the um, in the context of the talk and um, and and let them let it reveal itself. So awesome. There you go. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Another one in the books. Um, thank you so much for listening. If you did enjoy this podcast, do us a huge favor. Please share with your colleagues, friends, family, neighbors, whatever, whatever you feel like is going to work for you. But uh, also give us a positive review in whatever platform you're listening to, and we will see you on the next episode. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, we're going to ask you for a favor. Please leave us some positive reviews. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks again for listening to the Minimum Effective Dose podcast.